I've been uh, reading through the book of Daniel, and it's been a good series, good book to be reading through in the midst of this work as worship series, because if you know the story book of, of Daniel, uh, it's the story of some young Hebrew men who lived in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is captured by the Babylonian Empire, and they are taken away as prisoners of war and forced to work for the Babylonian king and then the, the Persian king. And what's interesting in the midst of worship and work series is these guys were great employees. They really did work well, and you just think about that. They were great employees for the foreign government that had captured their city. Wonderful employees, but the other thing about them, and you know the story of, some of you know the story of Daniel, or the other three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, not only were they great employees, but they were so bold for their faith. You know, just at every turn, they were doing a great job, but they never once compromised. You think of Daniel, you know, you can't pray, and Daniel goes and prays, and then he's throwing in the lion's den, and Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego brought out to the plains and said, you have to bow before the statue, and these guys are just so bold and so courageous, they don't bow, and then in both stories, wonderfully delivered. And I just look in, and I just am so uh, struck by their, their boldness, their courage, you know, we would rather die than, than, than compromise our faith. We just want to live for Christ and proclaim the greatness of our God. And I'm inspired and motivated. And then, you know, then someone comes to me and says, you know, and sort of maybe in the wrong social setting, oh, what do you do for a living? And suddenly I'm a little bit shy, you know, a little bit tongue-tied. And oh, let me, how do I say this well and not offend them and not lose the friendship? And what are they going to think of me? And I'm hopeful I'm not the only one that knows that feeling, right? Someone says to you tomorrow, oh, what'd you do this weekend? And you're like, oh, do I mention church? And that's going to get awkward. And what are they going to think? Or, you know, or maybe, you know, someone gives a prayer request or you just sense you have a friend who's hurting someone at work and you know the pain they're in and you think, oh, this would be such a great opportunity to offer to pray for them. And then you think, oh, what happens if someone sees? What happens if it doesn't go well? What happens if they say no? You, you know how we work through these things, right? Or you get an opportunity to share three circles and you're like, oh, wow, this is really going to be awkward and how am I going to do this and it's not going to work out? And, and you see the tension there, right? That's what I feel. I look in and I see Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, no matter what happens, we're going to live for Christ. And then we get these little situations where we, you know, we're, we're afraid of losing a little bit or not even losing anything, just being embarrassed or someone maybe thinking less of us potentially and we just get nervous and scared and pull back. In a couple of weeks, we'll introduce to you a new global lead-out partner we have. His name is Wilmont. He's a pastor in the country of Guinea, uh, less than 1% Christian, 88% Muslim there. And when I met him almost three years ago, his family, uh, they are there, had been kicked out of another place they were living in because he was a Christian and, uh, and, and a pastor. And so it's very hard for him to find a place to live. So when I met him, him and his eight children and his pregnant wife were living in a classroom of a school because they couldn't find anywhere. No one else would rent them a place to live. Now, since then, he's found a place to live and doing some great work and sharing the gospel and starting churches, and you'll be very encouraged by his story. But this week, and again, one thing we've been praying over is how do we reach this community? How do we reach the Muslims in this country, 14 million? And he's been sharing the gospel with Muslims. And he said, Jeff, I've got a story to tell you. I was sharing the gospel with this Muslim guy, and I want you to pray for him. And I said, oh, wonderful. Tell me the story. He said, well, it's my landlord, and I've been sharing the gospel with him. And in my heart, I was like, oh, okay, 13 million people. No, don't share with your landlord. 
because you're gonna get evicted again and your family's gonna be back in a school classroom and you're gonna lose everything and in my heart and I couldn't say that because he was just so excited. He said, Jeff, he's gonna come back. We're gonna open up the Bible. We're gonna do a story from scripture. What story do you think I should do? And in my heart, I wanted to pray for him, but I was also like, oh, be careful, be careful because you could lose everything. And then I think of my own situation, right, in our situation and how at times we just lack courage and boldness. And so my question this morning, as you consider that, this diversity oftentimes in our level of boldness is, what are we missing? Why is there this gap? You know, and then if you're more solution-oriented, how do we fix that? And so here's my question this morning. Why do some have a much greater level of boldness than others in their lives? Why do some lead much bolder lives than others? And here's what we could consider as you think about your faith is that it has really nothing to do with how long you've been a follower of Jesus. It would be nice to be able to say, the more you follow Jesus, the bolder you'll get, but we know that's not the case. In fact, sometimes the people we meet who are the most boldest are the ones who are the newest Christians. And sometimes we have to say, okay, you're a little too bold, you're getting out of control, but yet we love the boldness there. We love the boldness in them. And so the question again comes, why do some lead more bold lives than the rest of us? Why would that be the case? And that's where we come this morning in our series called uh, Work as Worship. And our topic this morning is how we live out our faith at work. And so we're going to look at a few verses in 1 Peter that help us answer this question. So I sure hope you have your Bibles to turn there. It's 1 Peter chapter 3, and Peter is going to help us understand this question. In fact, here would be my premise would be this. How do we raise our level of boldness? How might we increase our boldness? So whether you're going to work tomorrow morning or out in your neighborhood or with friends or at school, again, the series is Work is Worship, but it applies just about anywhere we're going this week, how can we live with more boldness? And what Peter is going to show us here is two things. One is sort of assumed and the other is commanded. And we're going to look at both of these things. And I think as we understand these two things and put them into our lives, it results in our boldness increasing. So here's, the, here's what my message is not this morning, because you already know this. We should be more bold. Now, that's not my message. It is true. But yet my hope and prayer is this. As we see the two things that Peter teaches us, the result as we do those two things, the result will be that we will become more bold, that God will work things in our heart to increase our level of boldness. So it's 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to be in verse 15, but I'll just start in verse 13 and just give a couple of comments. Just, just read it along there in your Bibles. Here's what Peter says. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? So he's sort of asking a rhetorical question. Peter is writing to a group of churches that were suffering because of their faith. Uh, they were being ostracized. They were losing out financially. All sorts of suffering is going on. And we talked about First Peter in the fall. So all of these things are going on. But what Peter is trying to do, and this is very interesting if you read back up a little bit, he's trying to convince this church of people, even though you are being suffered and persecuted and losing out financially and being ostracized, keep doing good. 
Keep doing good in your community. Keep loving people. Keep meeting needs. Keep reaching out. Keep being full of compassion. It's a wonderful argument. And so he's saying that, keep doing good. And then this is the end of his argument. Hey, and if you keep doing good, who's going to harm you? It, it sort of goes like this. People may not like your message, but they won't hurt you because of your love and compassion for the community. It actually is a really good argument. We, we find that to be quite true over history and over time, that people may not like the Christian message, but when we are eager to do good, that wins us favor and actually lessens some of the suffering. So that's his question. Do good, and who's going to harm you if you're doing good? Most of the time, not many. But I know what you're thinking. Same thing I'm thinking. Same thing they were thinking. They're like, but Peter, sometimes that doesn't work. Sometimes you do do good, and you still end up suffering, and he addresses that. Verse 14, he's right following along with us. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. So he says, yeah, you still may do good, and you still may suffer, but here's his premise. You're blessed. Rejoice in that. Don't be fearful. Don't be frightened. And then he goes to verse 15. You'll see it on the screen as well. Then in that environment, here's his instruction. This is the verse we're just going to talk about today. Here's what he says. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. That's what he says. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So the idea is that this church is facing suffering, They're facing persecution. They are doing good. And then people look in and start to ask them a question. They they sort of look in and start to inquire of this church of people. And here's the question like this. Why are you still doing good when they're attacking you? Why are you still doing good in the midst of this suffering? Someone might say it like this. I would have snapped by now. I would have laughed. I would have got angry. I would have done all sorts of things. But why are you people living so differently? And Peter says they're going to get those questions. And the question, the incoming question, is going to be in regards to something very specific in their lives. Look down there. It's the last part of it. Give a reason for the hope that you have. So what Peter is saying, in the midst of this suffering, people are going to look in, and they're going to see hope in this group of Christians, and it's going to compel them to want to ask about it. The assumption here is, and this is obvious, but I'll just state it, is that this church, these people, had hope. That's what Peter's saying. You have this hope, and people are seeing something different in you. Peter is using the word hope here almost to be synonymous with the gospel almost to bring those two together. That's how he's describing people who have put their trust in Christ. We know there's no hope in our world. It's broken because of sin and all the suffering that results. And we know our hope is being in right relationship with God. And we know the reason we feel no hope in this world is because we're disconnected from God, both now and for all eternity. And we know the reason that we can find hope is because of Jesus. He steps into this hopeless world. He comes, he lives, he dies, and he's resurrected again so that we can have the hope of our sin being forgiven. We can have the hope of being in right relationship with God, not based on what we've done, because we can never do enough, but only based on what Christ has done for us. We have the hope of a future with him. We have the hope that one day all the brokenness of this world will be fixed. 
And this hope is not just wishful thinking. It's a sure hope. It's sure. Because why is it so sure? Because Christ was risen from the dead. And because Christ rises from the dead and he was made new, then we can have hope that we all will be made new. That is our destiny. The hope of Christ. The hope of the gospel. The hope of what it means to trust in him. The hope that we can be changed and we can live a different life. The hope that everything we do now has meaning and purpose. So this is what Peter is saying. He's looking in and he's saying, because these group of, this group of Christians had this hope in Christ, hope for eternity, hope in forgiveness, hope in change, hope for purpose, they were living differently. And people began to ask them about it. It was only because of what Christ had done for them. Now, just for a moment, think about this. This, what Peter is describing here, this hope, is the essence of what it means to be a Christian. It's an in something inside of us, hope being filled inside that flows out into our actions. What's assumed here is the Christians had this hope. And what does it mean to be a Christian? It means to understand this and to have this hope inside of it. Many of you know this exactly. You, you know this moment where you were sort of living life in the midst of this world and you thought you understood Christianity, you thought you understood Jesus, and then suddenly your eyes are opened. And suddenly it's like you were sort of in a dream, but now you're fully awake and you're like, oh, I see what Christ did. And I see all he's done for me and I've put my hope in him. Others of you know it, it was like a fog. You were sort of walking through life and not clear, and you thought, okay, this is what it is. This is what everyone does. But then you saw it, and you were like, wow, look what Christ has done. My sin is forgiven. I have purpose in life. I have hope for the future, hope to change. And it was this radical, different, you were made new. It's this incredible change that comes into you. And then some of you, you know, you, were, you know this moment, and you start saying around to other people, do you see this? Do you understand this? And they're like, oh, yeah, I get it. You're like, no, you don't. No, you don't, right? But we know there's this moment where God opens our eyes to this incredible hope. Here's what Peter is marking. Here's what Peter is marking is he's saying these other people are looking in, asking them questions because they have something distinct inside of them. His premise is this. Christianity is like nothing else. It's like no other thing. That's why people are asking the question about their hope because the people are saying, we've never seen anything like this before. What you have is totally different, totally unique. And that's what we remind ourselves Christianity is. It's not a religious club. It's not a social organization. It's not some outward commitment to behavioral norms. It's having the hope of Christ deep in our souls. And so then... Back to our original question. Why do some lead bolder lives than others? It's simply because they have this hope in them. You might say this morning, well, I'm a Christian. I understand these things. I believe these things. I agree with them. But if you were to look at your life and see that there's no boldness, there's no boldness, then I would say this. You don't fully understand it. You don't fully grasp it. You think you do, but you really don't. You don't see the uniqueness, the greatness, and the depth of the hope that Christ offers us. And so here's what I would mark today. As our level of hope increases, our level of boldness increases. They, they go together. 
as our level of hope increases, our level of boldness increases. And so here's the first takeaway. How do we increase our boldness? You'll see it on the screen. We simply this, fill our heart with gospel hope. Fill your heart with gospel hope. And so here's what we know. Here's what we know. We fill our hearts with too much hope in the wrong things. That's what's so nice about interacting with Christians in other places in the world. They've got not a lot to put their hope in, and that's an advantage for them. And they can just say, no, we're going to put our hope fully in Christ and all that he says. But then we look at ourselves, and we put our hope too much in what people think about us, our reputation, our standing, our position. We put our hope too much in our money, our career, our security. We're too afraid we're going to lose something. We put our hope in those things. And what I have appreciated in my own life over the last three years is trying to be more bold in sharing the gospel. What I have learned is exactly this, how much hope I have put in other things, and I have learned more and still learning what it means to die to self what it means to not place my things in the things of this world. And God has used that, my boldness, to slowly work out some of these things to die more to self. Now, here's what I would say. As you think about your workplace, you need to be wise. You need to be careful. Many of you work in delicate situations more than I would understand. We need great wisdom as each of us, each of you would go to work or whatever environment you're in. But I would say this, if we have hope in us, it will naturally spill out in some ways. doesn't mean it spills out corny or cheesy. I'll steal a story from the videos this week, and if you're watching it, you know I'm going to steal it. Uh, but J.D. Greer tells a story of a pilot, American Airlines pilot, who got on the plane. You know how the pilot does the announcement before. And he says, the pilot got on the intercom and he said, you know, if the plane were to crash, does everyone on the plane know where they're going when they're going to die? And then he said, could all the Christians raise their hands? And if you want to talk to someone about where you would make sure you know where you're going to die, if the plane crashes, just talk to one of these Christians. And as J.D. Gurr will say on the video, the flight, the passengers were a little bit upset. Not the thing you want to hear from your captain when you're getting to take off. And he's exactly right. Not wise. You know, right heart. Wrong application. So, we, but here's the... We're God's ambassadors. You are God's ambassadors. You're there in your workplace or wherever you go this week for a reason. Part of the reason you're there is to be a witness for him. He's got a purpose for you. And I pray that God would fill your heart with more gospel hope. Not hope in money and career and reputation and standing and position. Not hope in a comfortable life but hope in the gospel, hope in what Christ has done for us. And as he would fill your heart with more gospel hope, I pray that he would then, the result of that would be growing boldness in your workplace. That's the first idea here from 1 Peter. The first way we increase our boldness, we fill our heart with gospel hope. I want to get to the second one in a minute, but I'm also going to go on a little tangent here and address a little question that some of you have thought and some of you have asked. And, uh, and it, this is why I'm going to address it here. Because Peter is talking to us about what the essence of what it means to be a Christian. What he's saying is it's something on the inside. It's a radical change on the inside. He doesn't say, you know, you've signed a card, you've raised your hand, you've walked an aisle, you've been baptized, you've had a balloon on the side of the stage. 
And so even as I mentioned that one, some of you may have noticed that we haven't had any red balloons on the stage probably in the last four or five months. And some of you have asked why that is the case, and that's what I'm going to address now. For some of you who have no idea what I'm talking about, for about four or five years, maybe six years at Harbor, we always put a red balloon on the side of the stage when someone during the week would pray a prayer to trust in Christ. Recently, we have stopped doing that. Now, let me give two reasons why we have. First reason is the reason we started that is because we wanted to replicate. What you celebrate, you replicate. So whatever you celebrate, you just know that that value gets pushed out. And so we wanted to celebrate gospel sharing. We wanted the gospel to be shared more in our church. And so now, where would we say we're at? I would say we still have more work to do. We have more work to do. But yet that value has been raised from when we started that tradition some four or five years ago. And God has given us grace and favor. In fact, some of you know that we are becoming known by God's grace as a church that is actively sharing the gospel. And we get frequent now requests either from Ontario or uh, at times around the world for us to be involved in coaching and helping. And so we're thankful that God has used those balloons to grow uh, a a sense in our hearts that we want to share the gospel. Here's the second thing we've learned, and you already know this, that an indication, someone when they hear the gospel and respond, how they respond in the moment is not necessarily an indication that they have had a shift in their heart. How they respond in the moment is not actually an indication of what happens in someone's heart. In fact, Jesus taught us this very lesson. He taught us this lesson. If you remember the parable of the sower and the seeds, he says the sower goes out and throws the gospel seed everywhere. He throws it all over the place, randomly, abundantly. Some, you remember the hard soil, some hear that and the the devil comes and takes the seed away. We know that one. That person's not interested. We all can put a name to that face. But then he says there's a second sort of person that hears the gospel message. It's the one who hears it and receives it with joy and the gospel grows up quickly in them and we think, wow, this is wonderful. But then what happens? They don't get their roots deep down. They don't get roots down, and the seed and the growth die away, and there is nothing left. And then he says there's a third type of soil. The third type of soil is someone who hears the gospel, the seed grows up, and then the weeds and the thorns come and choke it out. And as you think for a moment, we know people that have heard the gospel message and responded with joy but not got their roots deep down. We know people that have grown up but then the cares and the thorns of life come and check it out. And what Jesus is saying is all three of those people have received the word but they have not truly internalized it. They have not understood it. Let me show you this verse on the screen. It's the four soil person. Here's what he says, but the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. That's what's added there. The four soil person is someone that has understood it, brought the hope of Jesus into their hearts. And so what Jesus is teaching us in this parable is it's really hard to know in the initial moment how someone responds. What actually is going on in someone's heart? George Whitfield is probably known as the greatest evangelist ever. And again, in George Whitfield's day, they didn't ask for any sort of response. He just preached, and he preached passionately. If you've ever read his sermons, how passionately he preached for people to trust in Christ. And then someone hearing that message after him went up to him, and you know, there's tens of thousands of people listening to him preach. They said, George, how many people do you think today trusted in Christ? How many people got saved? 
And he wisely answered, well, ask me six months from now. Ask me six months from now, because he wisely knew that the initial response is not necessarily indication. So what are we doing as a church? What am I trying to do every Sunday? I'm trying to urgently beg people to come and respond to the truth of the gospel, to turn from your sin and trust in Christ as Jesus said it. Make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. As Peter said it, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. We want to fully proclaim that message. And then as we do, we don't want in moments to be distracted about trying to quantify that decision in the moment. Is there a prayer? Is there a balloon? We just want to be free to fully proclaim the truth and see how God works in people's lives. One of my favorite moments from the last three months was I was with someone who, who I was getting to know, so appreciate them, and they were sort of at a low point in life. And as we talked about what was going on in their lives and then got to the spiritual part, I said to them, I think, and again, I'm not going to remember what I said, but it was something like, God has brought you to this low moment. You just need to surrender your life to him. I probably didn't say it that well in the moment, but that was about the intent. And I think even out of my mouth, oh, I know I said this, you just need to get down on your knees and trust in Jesus. And I was just saying that. And then the person I was talking to, I have so much respect for them, they caught me a little off guard. They said, oh, should I do that? Can I do that right now? I was like, yeah, sure, you could do that right now, right? And I hadn't necessarily thought that they would do that in the moment, but they did. They got down on their knees right where they were, and they surrendered to Christ. The prayer, I don't necessarily remember all of the words, but I know it was a heartfelt surrender to Christ, and in that moment, it was wonderful. And in that moment, I didn't want to start to bring up, did we get the prayer right, or did we, do we need to put a balloon up? I just knew that it was a heartfelt moment of surrender. And so that's our heart as a church. That's why we've pulled back from the balloons so we can just challenge people in those moments to follow fully Jesus. And now you may say, well, Jeff, how are we going to know if people trust in Christ? How are we going to know? We have a wonderful way you can know. It's called baptism. It's called baptism where people step forward and declare their faith in Christ by being baptized. And praise God, even for the baptisms we have had this month and the encouragement that they bring. So let me just give a couple of application points on this. If you're here today and you would say, if I was to ask you after the service, oh, I'm a Christian because I prayed a prayer, because I was baptized, because I, you know, walked an aisle, raised a hand, had a balloon on the stage, I would say no. What a Christian is and what Peter is teaching us is that we have a radical shift inside of us where we've placed our hope in Christ and not in the things of this world. That's what it means, and that's the message that I want to communicate today. For others of you, if you know you're there, if you know, you know, yeah, I didn't raise my hand, or I didn't pray a prayer, I didn't get a balloon, but I know I've trusted in Christ, then let me give an application point to you. Come and be baptized. Come and declare your faith to us. And then a third quick application point on this is, and I know for some of you this is really personal, for some of you, you have someone you know and love dearly. And you may look back on their spiritual journey, and you may say, you know, there was a point in their journey where they prayed a prayer, where there was a balloon, there was a public display, there was a raised hand, there was a walking down an aisle. And you may say, Jeff, are you saying this morning that they're not a Christian, not a follower of Jesus? Well, again, I don't know. No one knows the heart. No one knows the heart. But I would say this. That person should have no assurance of their salvation, 
no assurance. In fact, what Jesus teaches us, if you're a second soil person where the seed goes up quickly with a lot of joy and then falls away because you don't get your roots down, or a third soil person that grows up and then gets choked out by the, we the weeds, you really should have no assurance. Because Jesus is teaching us that those people have not truly understood and received the gospel message. And so the reason I say that is not to discourage anyone, but it may encourage you to pray more for someone, not to put your hope in an external. It may, may encourage you to work harder. It may encourage you to go back and explain the true gospel to someone who maybe has never really understood the true gospel of Jesus Christ to go back and re-explain that. So, how do we increase our level of boldness? First way, we simply fill our heart with gospel hope. There's a second way in the passage. Let's go back to it. You'll see it on the screen. Here's the second way. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Again, this is fascinating. Here these people are suffering for their faith. Peter doesn't say, withdraw, you know, run away, flee to the hills. He doesn't say, launch a hostile counterattack on society. He says, be ready to give an answer. He's saying confrontations and suffering are occasions to be a witness. He's saying in the public square, in the public arena, be ready to give an answer to your faith. The gospel, the truth of the gospel should be defended and expressed in the public arena. Now, some of you know this word here, give an answer, is the word apologist. He's not saying we all should be highly skilled apologists, but he is saying this, you should grasp the essentials of the faith and be able to explain them. We should be able to articulate our hope with humility, thoughtfully, reasonably, and biblically. And when should we be able to do that? Always. And who should we be able to do it to? Everyone or anyone who asks. So what's the second thing we might learn here that fills our hearts with confidence? First is we fill our heart with gospel hope, and the second one is this. Here's the second thing that leads to boldness. We prepare our hands with gospel tools. That's what Peter's saying here. Always be prepared. Be constantly prepared. Be ready in any moment to share your faith. This week, again, you'll be reminded in the videos, right, that, th that your mission is where you go this week. For some of you, your workplace. For some of you, your neighborhood. For some of you, other places where you live. There's no divide between Sunday and Monday. No divide between the sacred and secular. We all turn ourselves to the mission of God wherever he has us during the week. You'll hear some great stories. A guy named Niles, who's a scientist, who shares his testimony at work. A lady named Kelly, who's a physiotherapist. She says she wants to be sensitive, but yet intentional in sharing her faith. And so then, how might we be, how might we actually prepare our hands? Or as Kelly says in the video, how might we be more intentional? And here's what I know, that if we're not prepared, if you don't know what to say, your boldness level goes down. Having some tools, having some comf uh, competency does raise our confidence level. So in a moment, I'm going to put on the screen a diagram that I promised myself I should never show publicly because it just confuses people because it's got too much information on it. But I'm going to do it anyway, and I'm just going to confuse you. So let's put up the diagram. There it is. Way too much information. Do not try to read it. So, uh, but let me say this. If you want to say, how would I prepare myself? You see in that diagram right in the middle, a heart. The heart represents filling ourselves with gospel hope. 
And then as you work around the quadrants, the quadrants represent tools that we have at Harbor. How do I find people that I could share with? Those, that's the first quadrant. The second quadrant simply gives us some tools on what do we actually say. And then the third quadrant gives us some tools on how we actually respond. When whatever, however people respond to us, then we have a way that we respond to them. Just simple tools. And if you keep working around the fourth quadrant there, then this is for some of you, and this is what you see happening at Harbor. Churches are beginning to form out of that. More on that in the coming weeks. And then in the middle, leaders. So that's enough of the slide. We'll take it down because you'll just keep... No, they're already down. Good. So I've confused you. That was my goal. But there's a lot of great tools on there. There's a lot of great tools. And some of you, if you've been to some of the trainings, you are learning these tools. As I have learned the tools and been practicing them, I found my confidence level, my boldness level has grown. And as I have used the tools, then my heart for God and my heart to fill myself with more gospel hope has grown and then uh, has led me to use the tools more and it creates a great circle there. Some of you know one of the little tools here. We do it in our groups where at the very end, part of it is let's set goals for the week. You know, let's set goals on how we want to connect with God and who we want to share with. And we're doing that intentionally. That's a tool we're using to try to push us to obey Jesus, to push us to share. And let me just say this about the goals at the end. Here's how I know how you feel about the goals. The longer you've been a Christian, the less you like the goals. All right? So if you say to me after, Jeff, I don't like the goals, I'm like, okay, you've been a Christian quite a while. Because here's what happens. Here's what happens. And again, here's what can happen in the church. Is sometimes we just think that we come just to get more knowledge. Right? We just come to learn more and take it in. We actually don't have to do anything with it. And what's great about the goals is it pushes us to say, how are we going to change this week? Who am I actually going to share with? How am I going to obey Jesus? How am I going to connect with God? And I've been delighted to be in some groups that are all full of people that are new to the faith. And in those groups, we just set goals. And like, oh yeah, of course this is what we do. And I'm like, oh, no one told them that this is what we don't do in the big church. Right? No one told them this, but I'm not going to tell them. Don't tell them. It's wonderful to see every week just saying, you know, I've found this hope in me, and I just want to share it with others. Sometimes I'm just stunned at their faith and their boldness in that regard. The last video you'll see on the series this week, it's really good. If, even if you're not in the groups, just go on right now, meet and watch it, is an air traffic controller. And he shares Christ with someone over a kitchen sink, and he gets utterly rejected. And uh, then for eight years, he just is quiet and prays. And then after eight years, this man, finally, God softens his heart. His wife softens his heart. They both come to trust in Christ. And then they both end up coming missionaries. It's a wonderful story. If I was producing the videos, I would choose that story to use it. It almost seems so perfect. That's the only problem with it. Sometimes, here, here's what I want to say as you think about being bold or sharing your faith or using these tools. We just do our part. We just do our part. That's all we do. And then we just trust God to do his work. And as you watch that story, you could almost hear them saying, because this guy did it all right, then this person trusts in Christ. And I don't think that's true at all, and I don't think that's quite what they were saying. But it's the idea of we just do our part. We just do our part, and then we trust God for the results in that. We just do the things we can control. We pray. We share we invite. Here's how I'm trying to live that out in my own life. My own goals are this. This is what I control. Jeff, every morning am I up praying for people that are far from God. Just praying. God, would you save people? 
The harvest is plentiful. God, may we see a plentiful harvest. God, I'm just praying. God, would you say people, I'm praying generally, and I'm praying for some people specifically by name. The second way I'm living this out is I'm just saying in my heart, God, help me every week to share the three circles seven times. Seven times. Some of you have been with me in a meeting, and I'm like, I'm going to share it with you because I need to get to seven. Right? But that's my commitment, just sharing it seven times every week and trying to just be faithful to share the gospel. And then my third point is just I want to be inviting people, inviting people to our gatherings, whether it be here, whether it be our groups, whether it be our other churches that are happening. I just want to be faithful in inviting. Those are the three things. Those are, those are the tools. That's the way I'm trying to live out these tools. So you want more boldness? Want to increase your level of boldness? Fill your heart with gospel hope. And then prepare your hands with gospel tools and respond to the opportunities that God gives us. What would lead us forward in our mission more than anything else of walking with people from disenchantment to discipleship? What would, what would multiply that ministry? It would be simply this, that every one of us would know the tools and be using the tools. Every single one of us would be engaged in working and making disciples by knowing and using those tools. Let me just close by one quote from Hudson Taylor, famous missionary to China from uh, at least 100 years ago. I'll read the quote, then we'll pray the quote, and then I'll say, Harbor, we are sent. But let me read the quote first. You'll see it. Here's what he said. Would that God make hell so real to us that we cannot rest, heaven so real that we must have men there, Christ so real that our supreme motive and aim shall be to make the man of sorrows the man of joy, by the conversion to him of many. Let me just pray that prayer. God, we look at those words, and God, we, uh, God, we pray that those would be our hearts. That would be our heart. God, may hell be so real to us, eternity apart from you, that you would move us, Lord, to not rest. Oh, God, may heaven be so real that we place our hope in it and not in the things of this world. And, oh, God, may Christ be so real, the man of sorrows who suffered for us. And, God, may we labor to bring Christ joy by using the tools, by, by proclaiming your gospel, and, God, by your grace, seeing others who would trust in you and give their lives to you. Oh, God, help us, we pray. Help us, we pray, to go and make disciples of all nations, to be a witness this week at work. And, God, may that be our worship to you. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen and amen. We end every service with four words. Uh, I don't need to say any more. Harbor, we are sent.